following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Well, there's a woman who is washing her dishes. She's looking out the window to her backyard, and she sees her German Shepherd dog shaking the life out of her neighbor's rabbit. They had had trouble with this neighbor before. This was going to make things work. So she panicked. She grabbed a broom. She ran out into the backyard. She beat the dog with the top of the broom until he finally dropped the rabbit. She looked down at the rabbit, and it was massively dirty, and it was extremely dead. And she's going, oh, no. What am I going to do? And so she thought for a minute. She picked up the rabbit on the end of the broom. She brought it into the house and dropped it into the bathtub. She turned on the sprayer and she began to spray the rabbit. And on the one side, all of a sudden, all the dirt kind of washed away, looked really clean. She was kind of excited about that. So she flipped it over and washed the other side and got it all really clean. And this is all coming all at one moment here. So she's thinking to herself, well, what do I do next? She goes and gets her hair dryer. And she gets an old brush, and she starts brushing at the sink this rabbit and kind of making it look really good, you know, and dry and puffy and everything, and she's really excited. She didn't want to get blamed for this, so she looked over the fence with this now dead, fluffy, nice-looking rabbit, and she hopped over the fence, went to the rabbit cage, opened the door, put the rabbit in the cage, propped it up as if it were alive and sitting there, closed the little fence, locked it, went over to the fence, hopped back over the fence, and just pretended like nothing happened at all. Two hours later, she hears screaming from her neighbor's house. And she's like, oh my, what's going on? So she runs to the fence, and she's saying, what happened, what happened? The neighbor runs up to her, and all the blood in her face has just been rushed out. She's all white, and she's panting, and she says this, our rabbit our rabbit, he died two weeks ago, we buried him, and now he's back. (laughs) I just love that. Many churchgoers are just like that rabbit. They're all propped up on the outside. They look fluffy and nice, but they're dead on the inside, reminding us that our faith is truly a matter of the heart. Um, Some years ago, my wife, Jean, broke her foot. We were playing a savage game of badminton. She went back for an incredible shot. I mean, incredible shot. She slipped off her flops that she had been playing in and broke her foot, but she made the shot. We won the game, so it's all okay. All right, so, but understand, uh, within days her foot began to change. Now, it wasn't serious enough for a cast, but literally within days, it began to atrophy. Do you know that term, atrophy? Atrophy is when something falls into disuse. It's basically, it begins to atrophy. It becomes dysfunctional because of disuse. And atrophy is not just a physical problem, it's actually a spiritual disease. And it strikes most often at our hearts. When we begin to function on the outside and act like Christians and speak like Christians, but actually not maintain a heart relationship with Jesus Christ and maintain an up-to-date relationship with Jesus Christ, we tend to atrophy. We take the easy way out, right? The easy way is the way of external. We don't have to manage our heart, even showy behavior, and ignore our heart. One more illustration that might help you to kind of focus in what we're going to be dealing with this morning, and that is if you've ever seen a Gothic building. A Gothic building are ones that have these massive, massive high walls and, and huge ceilings that they often decorate and paint, etc., but they're so big that the walls cannot support the weight of the ceiling. So what they invented during the Middle Ages was... a arches on the outside walls that were designed to hold those walls and support those walls so it can support the ceiling. They were called flying buttresses. And that's an excellent illustration for all of us here who call ourselves Christians. Christians are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We're born again. We're made new. We're the cathedral, so to speak, of the Spirit of God. 
But we often find ourselves, do we not, sometimes living by the externals, the things that support us. We tend to live the Christian life by flying buttresses. The flying buttress may be of church attendance, or a good church that you go to, or a ministry that you're involved in, or that you lead, or you're involved in discipleship, or you follow a detailed list of do's and don'ts. It could be whatever, but here's the question. If we were to take away those things that you have confidence in, those externals, those flying buttresses, and we only focus on your heart, would we find it empty? Or would your faith actually collapse? What's holding you up, Christian? Is it Christ in you? Or is it some external? Is it a scaffolding that makes you look good without having to deal with the internal heart condition? It could be, again, the church you go to, or your community group, or your friends, or your family, or your spouse, or your husband, uh, your wife. Uh, even sometimes we get so caught up in a theological system, we have confidence in that, and yet we're not actually maintaining and managing our heart before God who knows our hearts. For Christ, in the New Testament, repeatedly calls us from external scaffolding to the internal condition of your heart. Where are you at before Him? Is it genuinely driven by the Spirit of God? Is it genuinely driven by a heart relationship that's up to date with confessed sin and it's relying on Him and submissive to Him? Where is it in your life? Understand that Christianity is first and foremost a matter of the heart. It is actually designed to be an inside-out kind of experience. And interesting enough, having a spiritually healthy heart makes the difference between being a real Christian and a phony one. A godly man or woman or a Pharisee. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ or a fake one. Interesting enough, you're maybe asking, is the heart really that important, Chris? Are you building this up too big? Well, I think that God would tell us otherwise, that it is extremely important just look at what he teaches us in his word. In Joel chapter 2, verse 13, God told the Israelites, take a look at your outline, to rend your what? Your heart. And not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God. Don't put on an external show of tearing your clothes or throwing dust in the air like they used to do to per, kind of portray their repentance. He says, deal with your heart before God. You know this verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7, where God talks to Samuel and he's talking to us today. And he's saying this, For God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Where you really are with Him. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your what? Your heart. It's the wellspring. It's the, the, the center of everything that you do as a Christian. Now, what does heart or cardia mean in the New Testament? What do our theological dictionaries tell us? Well, let me tell you. It's the heart is the authentic you. You might want to write that down. The authentic you. It's who you really are, where you decide, where you deliberate, where you desire. Those three Ds. Desire, deliberate, decide. The heart is the place of spiritual activity. The seed of your inner spiritual life. The heart is the place where God meets you a place of our fellowship with Him, a place where God reveals Himself to us. The heart in the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, is often used to describe your purposes, your affections, your desires, your priorities, how you think and how you make life decisions. A spiritually healthy heart before God is essential to our right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so, what's he say in 2 Chronicles 16, 9? For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, throughout this congregation right now, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You get it? Like the Marines who are looking for a few good men, God is looking for some dependent, transformed hearts. Will you put your hand on your heart for a minute? Just for a second. Go ahead, physically do that. You know that pounding thing in there, that's not what we're talking about. 
We're talking about the internal you, the real you. Who you really are is what Christ wants. Not merely your attendance, not merely your appearance, not merely your praise. He wants your heart to be right with Him, to be engaged with Him, to be up to date with Him. That's what He wants. Now, that's why Christ directed most of His teaching directly at the heart. What do I mean? Well, after his baptism and temptation, Christ catches everybody's attention by cleaning out the temple and wowing Nicodemus with the need to be born again. Then after some time at the Jordan River, he goes to Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It is literally one of the prettiest places in Israel. And here he begins his second year of ministry, which is often called the year of popularity. The crowds that are following Christ are so great, he doesn't have time to pray. He has to get up extra early to pray. And it's so great. He actually, you'll you'll read it in the Gospels, he didn't have time to eat because there's such demand on him. You say, what made Jesus so popular? I'm so glad you asked. I, I gave you three reasons there in your outline. You can see it, but let me explain them. One of them is because of the people he chooses to be with. The common folk, the everyday folk. 11 out of his 12 inner circle disciples are from Galilee, Nobody important comes from Galilee. Nobody. Everybody important comes from Judea. And only one of the disciples is from Judea. And you know who that is. Judas Iscariot. Nobody spends time with the everyday people. The Pharisees had a celebrity complex. They only spent time with important people that could build up their own self-esteem. They didn't spend time with suburbia and everyday people. And Jesus, all he does... Spend time with the hurting, people who wanted his help, people who were the average people of the land, and that made him, as a rabbi, extremely popular. He's also popular, number two, because of the miracles that he does. The miracles. Now, he did miracles in his first year and his second year, but in his second year, his miracles were even more spectacular than the first year. You say, what do you mean? Well, he finds himself in Cana, In John chapter 4, and a royal official asks him, would you heal my dying son? He's in Capernaum right now, 14 miles away from Cana, where he's having this dialogue with the Father. Everybody else that Christ has healed up to this point has been close by, but Jesus heals this boy without even seeing him, 14 miles away just by a word. Now that's awesome. And everybody learns it because the nobleman's son, the son himself are very verbal about it and everybody figures this out. The third reason why Christ is so popular is the things he said. His words were so simple and powerful that simply a child could understand them and so powerful they could rock and transform the hardest of hearts. And people are blown away by this. In fact, Christ did talk most about the heart. Why? Because the religionists of his day, the Pharisees and the scribes in particular, were focusing only on external traditions. Now, you've got to get this for a second. They took God's truth, and they applied it, they applied it, they applied it, they applied it, and they made all these traditions were not truth, but actually applications of the truth. And they made those the standard that you had to follow by, and you almost forgot what the truth was. Are you tracking with me? And so they've so focused on that, that now the Israeli religion during the first century was just filled with all these rules and regulations and traditions, and the real heart and the real truth of God's Word was being totally ignored. And so Jesus is trying to bring back the truth that would then pierce their hearts. And so during this time, Jesus actually broke Some of the external traditions. Remember, he healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. A big no-no for the traditionalists. He also had his disciples picking grain on the Sabbath, which was totally allowed in the law, but not according to the traditions. And so that really made the Pharisees mad. And so Jesus had to tell them, look, your external rules... Are, are not God's word, uh, their applications to it, they're external, and they're not as important as the heart of mercy and compassion toward the hurting. Well, this really 
ticks the Pharisees off. They're growing in anger. They think that being right with God means doing good deeds and keeping traditions. And Jesus says, to be right with God, you need a heart change. Listen, if you could just make that the message of Christianity, it would change your life. People need to understand they need to be regenerated. God needs to change their heart. Christianity isn't you ascribing to the New Testament. It's God changing your heart so you want to follow the New Testament. Do you see the difference? Super important that you understand that. That you are regenerate, born again. Well, they're upset about this because Jesus is telling them, look, you need a heart change that only comes by grace through what? Not works, but by faith. By your entrusting yourself to Christ. In other words, you can't do it. God must do it for you by His grace. So at this point, the Pharisees are madder than hornets. And the text tells us that they intend to kill Christ. So at this moment of history, at the beginning of the second year of His popularity, all right, second year of His public ministry, He withdraws from them to the Sea of Galilee, the north side. He's so popular, this huge crowd follows Him. And as He arrives, He preaches an incredible message. He compares external righteousness with internal transformation. He compares rule-keeping with internal heart change that wants to obey God. And then he compares the Pharisee religion and the rigidity of that and the externalism of that with an actual genuine relationship with Jesus Christ that he provides through salvation. In other words, it's called, this message, the Sermon on the Mount... I'm today, I want to call it the Sermon on the Heart. Because that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to focus on the heart. The greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And it's the Sermon on the Heart. Follow along if you would in your outline. You've got to have your Bible open. You've got to have a Bible today. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to track with us for a rapid tour through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Before we go two verses at a time next week. Three verses following that, sometimes six verses through this sermon, expositing every truth out of it, I want you to see the big picture. Sometimes it's really good, isn't it, to see the forest before you look at the trees, to kind of get the big picture. Well, that's what you're going to get today, a taste of what's coming. And we're going to look at it, and hopefully you're going to see, I just keep marveling at the genius and the absolute profundity of Jesus Christ. It's just an amazing message, and I hope to not mess it up for you. So put yourself, and you're already way ahead of the game on a gradual slope. Look, you're all gradually on a gradual slope. Just imagine behind me the Sea of Galilee, a cool Southern California breeze blowing through, weather that's perfect like our own weather, no joke. Two places on planet Earth have a Mediterranean climate that's called Mediterranean, Southern California, and Israel. And they're there experiencing this incredible weather. It's quiet. The acoustics are great. And as he begins to speak, what he's going to do, are you ready? Don't be scared. He's going to do open heart surgery on every one of you. Each one of you is going to have your heart exposed. Point number one in your outline, the need for a changed heart. The need for a changed heart. Stay with me. As he begins this sermon, he shows us the kind of heart that he gives his children. As he introduces, he's kind of talking about this is what a Christian is. This is what a Christ follower is. He's going to show us the kind of changes that he makes in his people and how happy it makes them. The word blessed means happy. So there's an expression of inner deep joy that comes from this. So positively, he starts off with these beatitudes, but positively, we call it new heart attitudes. New heart attitudes. We need these. Who are the truly happy? What's a genuine Christian heart? Look at Matthew chapter 5 now. Track with me. Take a look at your Bible because it describes those who are genuinely saved. Verse 3. The genuinely saved are poor in spirit. It's those who depend on God completely, unlike the Pharisees. Poor in spirit hearts have nothing to offer God on their own, nor in their own strength. They come to Him empty Nothing to offer God except their sin. And they realize that. Verse 4, look at it. Those who mourn over their sin. Unlike the Pharisees, 
his believers admit their sinners before a holy God, deep, crusty, gross sinners before God. Verse 5, the gentle, who unlike the Pharisees, submit under God's authority, his loving authority. Verse 6, those who have an appetite for God, unlike the Pharisees who were content with externals, the transformed heart, the changed heart, the saved person, hungers for God and desires to do what is right and live righteously. Verse 7, God gives His children a heart that is full of compassion towards others. He does that. He accomplishes that. Look at verse 8. God's children are, write it down, circle it in your Bible, pure in heart. Now what is that? It's those whose first concern is not being outwardly correct, but inwardly holy. Inwardly holy. It's not doing pure things, it's being made pure by God Himself internally. Christ is telling us here that the pure heart can only come from Him. Who are the truly happy? Look at verse 9. The peacemakers, those who find peace with God, then demonstrate His peace to others. And verse 10, take a look at it. Those who are willing to accept persecution. Listen, when you identify with Jesus Christ, His children, as His children, you will also be hated by the externalists, the externalists of our day, just like Christ was in His day and just like the disciples were. Listen, a lot of times persecution comes from people who are church people. Church people. Plus, he says, happy, blessed, are verses 13 through 16, take a look at that, are those who create a thirst for God like salt. They're, they're tasty the way they live, and they shine like light with good deeds, attractive deeds that bring glory to God. So, what kind of heart do you have? I Hopefully you'll be impressed, but I brought an Easter bunny with me. Yes, I've kept this since Easter for this moment. And look at them. I never eat these on Easter. Maybe you give them to your kids. I'm sorry for you. Uh, interesting enough, they're really shiny, aren't they? And, 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 and they're colorful on the outside, correct? Right? Come on. I'm not tricking you. It, it looks good, right? Looks like it might be tasty inside. You know, the chocolate's got preservatives that'll make it last through a nuclear holocaust, but whatever. <laughs> but interesting enough about this bunny is all you got to do is just add just a tiny bit of pressure and it just collapsed. It just crushed. Because there's no substance to it. When Jesus Christ changes your life, when you're saved, you're not just justified and covered as righteousness, you are regenerate. That means born again, given a new nature, given a new heart, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You are a new person. Behold, all things are new internally. So when pressure comes against you, you have substance not hollowness. It's a lot of Christians, they, they look really shiny on the outside, but there's no reality of the inside. And what Christ is pressing for in this sermon is going, your heart needs to be changed. Your heart needs to be transformed. It's not just that you morally go through the hoops of what a Christian looks like. You need to be a new person. You need to repent of your sin and turn to Christ and become that person. We need a new heart. But not only new heart attitudes, but secondly in your outline, under point number one, we need to deal with heart issues. Heart issues. Now the Pharisees, super content to deal just with the surface behavior, the, the externalism, cosmetics, you know, look really good. You know, get your robe looking really good. You know, get your suit on right. Uh, but they ignored the internal heart issues, especially the battles with sin. But Christ shows us how important it is to look beyond the external behavior and examine internal sin issues of the heart. Christ isn't just concerned about you conforming externally to Christianity. He wants you to deal with the heart issues. And so He's going to want you to deal with the internal realities and not just the externals. Now again, how cut up are you on externals? Seriously. What do you look for in people? Now, it doesn't happen very often with me. It really doesn't. But occasionally, I look at somebody and I'm, I'm making an evaluation externally. Okay? I'm sure you do it too. Please admit it. You know, uh, what kind of degree do you have? Uh, uh, do, you, do you wear a nice suit or do you have the super godly Hawaiian shirt? Which one? Okay? 
Uh, how much can you bench? Uh, what style of clothes do you wear? What sports did you play? Uh, what kind of paycheck do you bring home? What school did you graduate from? Nobody cares, by the way, unless it's USC. Nobody cares. Are you West Coast or are you East Coast? Right? Like the Pharisees, we are really caught up in externalism sometimes. And you're saying, wait a minute, Chris. I'm a leader. I give. I serve. I'm involved. I know the Bible. I even know the names of the Canaanite tribes, you know, the the Amorites, the Hittites, the Termites. I got all that down, okay? (laughs) All of it. I do. But in a world that focuses on credentials, Christ is going to go carve right through that. He doesn't care. Sometimes you meet people. I meet people on the patio and they look hard. Uh, They look like they've been riding a Harley for a long time. And you get to know them and they have the softest heart for Christ. God will shock you because he focuses on the heart, right? Psalm 139, David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. You know what David's praying? Lord, do a spiritual EKG on me. Spiritual EKG to show what kind of heart I have. So what is God looking for in my heart? Jesus calls us in 521 through the end of the chapter here to let him do a spiritual EKG on us. Evaluate your heart in light of these internal issues. God's word versus tradition. Now get this. Okay, I got to say this. We're going to see Jesus go this. You've heard it said, but I say to you, and what he's saying is you've heard it said oral tradition Not the Bible, not internal, external, but I say to you, the Bible and internal issues. So he's trying to bring people from their externalism and get them right into internal heart reality. Are you tracking with me? And he does it six times at the end of this chapter, and it's profound. I can hardly wait. We'll do one of them a week when we get here. It's incredibly exciting. In in chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, the Pharisees said, don't murder. Wow, that sounds great. Don't murder. Boy, I'm godly. I don't murder anybody. Jesus said, don't just avoid murder. Don't internally hate in your heart. That's the issue internally. Verses 27 to 30, the Pharisees said, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, don't internally lust. Listen. If you want to be on fire for Christ, you want to have your heart right, you got to deal with that second long lustful look. you got to deal with internet porn or porn in any way. You have to do that because that's a heart issue and it is going to cloud, it is going to hurt and harm your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a heart issue. Verses 31 to 32, Pharisees said, if you divorce, make sure you give her a good certificate of divorce, a paperwork. Christ said, no, 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 it's not about that. Don't divorce unless your spouse commits adultery in this context. Verses 33 to 37, the Pharisees said, don't make weak promises. Jesus says, don't just avoid bad oaths. Keep your word. When you say, look up here, I will do it, then you should what? Do it. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And anything else is evil. That's from the heart. That's what he's saying. Verses 38 to 42, the Pharisees said, don't take revenge. Jesus says, don't just avoid getting even. Be a peacemaker. Give up your rights. Die to yourself. Humble yourself. And in verses 43 to 48, the Pharisees said, hate your enemies. Jesus said, not only not hate them, but love your enemies and pray for them. You see what he's saying here again? The externals don't make you righteous. What you wear does not make you righteous. We need a new heart from God. Not only new heart attitudes, but a heart that also deals with those internal sin issues that no one sees, but you know before a holy God who looks right into your heart internal sins in order for you to live righteous it's the internal issues and just in case you're not getting it christ reminds us that this new internal heart that he gives alone to all his children that genuinely makes you a christian and not a phony one this incredible internal transformation that he does can only come from him and he makes a dramatic statement to prove it look at matthew chapter 5 verse 48 what's he saying verse 48 therefore you are to be what perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa! Anybody here being perfect? Don't raise your hand. Only a six-year-old will. 
I can't be perfect. I'm not even close to perfect. We're all far from perfect. And that's why you need God's perfection. God's righteousness. Imputed to you. That's salvation. That's justification. It's not your own. It only comes by God's gift, by God's grace, through my faith, my submission, my reliance upon the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf and His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and it only comes by faith in Him. Only God can give you that new heart. Only God. That's why you can be perfect. I'm perfect, made perfect, not because I'm perfect, because He made me perfect so I can step through heaven's door, not on the basis of my righteousness, but on the basis of Christ's perfect righteousness. Are you with me? He clothed me in His righteousness, imputed it to me. That has to happen. You say, but, but then Chris, I'm kind of struggling with this a little bit. How do I know that I have a transformed heart. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Point number two in your outline. He says the tests of a transformed heart. Now, chapter six and half of chapter seven is going to give you four tests. Internal tests to show you what kind of heart you have. Now, it's true I can learn a lot about your heart by how you do internet searches, right? If you tell me, you know, all the time in my house, somebody's trying to figure out Who's going to win between a lion and a tiger if they're battling each other? You've got a guy heart, okay? You're a masculine dude, all right? If you're uh, internet searching, why does my husband do this? Obviously, that's a wife's heart because they're always wondering, why do you do this? Uh, if your searches are all medical, you're probably an over than 50-year-old heart, okay? And if you're searching, you know, uh, what is FBC, then that's a right heart. Okay, so... Christ makes it even simpler by starting in chapter 6, and he says, you can know what's in your heart by passing four tests. Now remember, he's preaching a sermon. And as he's going through this, he's giving them these tests that then are evaluating their heart, hopefully moving them to turn to him. He's trying to strip away that externalism and get them to deal with their heart. So here are the tests. Your tests, their tests, here they are. Test number one, look at your spiritual disciplines. Look at your spiritual disciplines. What are your motives for living the Christian life? Chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, he goes through three types of spiritual disciplines. Giving and prayer and fasting. Now, to know if you've got a right kind of heart, you've got to ask yourself two things. One, do I practice these things at some point? Do I give? Do I pray? Do I fast? And then secondly... Do you do them to be seen by people so they're impressed with my spirituality or do I do them for Christ alone because I just want to please my Savior? I live for Him. Which one is it? Because when you give, is it for a tax return or is it that you're giving to Him and, and you're trying to please Him with the amount that you give? Uh, when you pray, is it only at church or only as you gather with other Christians? Or do you pray on your own, in your closet, so to speak, with no one knowing? Do you ever fast without anyone knowing? And it's not for a diet, it's for prayer. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Take a look at verse 1. Look at it now. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be what? Say it out loud, what? Noticed by them. The word noticed in the Greek language is where we get our English word for theata. The theata. When you live your Christian life, are you putting on a theata, a show for everybody? Or are you doing it in order to please your Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what people see? Regardless of whether they see it or not? That's the question. Because if you're yearning to put on a show, that's bad. Or if you're yearning to give and pray and to fast for God, that's good. And he says, if you're doing it the bad way, otherwise, verse 1, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So take a look at verse 5. What's the test? When you pray, are you not, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to pray in order to be seen by men, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Basically, Jesus is asking this, do you carry on your relationship with Christ in secret throughout the week 
regardless of who knows or doesn't know, or is it only a public, only a Sunday, only when gathered other Christians around kind of experience? That's test number one. Test number two, he's preaching the sermon and he's exposing their hearts and he's saying, you'll know what is in your heart when you test number two, look at your investments. Look at your investments. Verses 19 to 24, chapter 6, Christ says, what you do with your money and your time is a test of your heart. In fact, Christ says in verse 21, look at it, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Super connection between your heart and your treasure. And Christ says, I know a lot about your heart by what you do with your treasure. Now, there are two treasure chests in this world. So you need to understand, you're investing into one or the other, never typically both. Maybe you're switching back and forth. But basically, there's one and then there's the other. The treasure chest of this world, which says what life is all about, is winning through achievement, through possessions, through money, through status, by being popular, by being on the web, by climbing the ladder, by having men's applause and recognition. That's one treasure chest. The other treasure chest is of Christ's eternal kingdom. And people who are fired up about God's kingdom live to see His smile. Not anybody else's, His smile. And they invest in God's purposes through love, through servanthood, through giving, through giving of themselves for Christ's call. I can tell a lot about your affections, the affections of your heart, and where they're pointed by looking really at just two pieces of your equipment. Are you ready? Two pieces. One is your calendar, and the other is your checkbook or your bank account. Your calendar and your bank account. Jesus says, you will know which world, which treasure chest, this world or God's eternal kingdom, that you're fired up about by looking at those two things. Your calendar and your bank statement. If your calendar and bank statement reflect that your primary investment is this world system and that's all there is, that's a bad spiritual sign. It is exposing your heart. I'm not. Christ is. Exposing your heart. But if your calendar shows large blocks of time given towards God's purposes or some time given to God's purposes and large blocks of money invested in God's purposes, then that's a good sign. It shows where your heart is at. And that's what Jesus is teaching this gathered group. What's your bank statement? What's your calendar say about your heart? Do you pass test number two? Test number three. Christ says you'll know what kind of heart you have by looking at your trust level. Your trust level. He's preaching this. And so he moves from that super convicting you know, test to another one that basically, are you ready? Trust or worry. Trust or worry. Verses 25 to 34, he says, you know what's in your heart by the trust level you place in your Father. Look at verse 31. Take a look at it in your Bible. Do not be what? Okay, you're not there yet. Look at verse 31. Everybody together. Do not be anxious then saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we clothe ourselves with? Look, skip to verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34 Therefore, do not be what? Anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I found it very interesting. The German word for worry, or the German word for anxious, means strangulation. And that's exactly what worry does. It's emotional strangulation. It chokes the joy right out of your life. Isn't that not true? That's what worry does. So you say, how do I stop? Well, the cause of worry is where your focus is. So if your focus is this world, safety, what's going to happen to me, circumstances, you're going to worry. But if your focus is on Christ, that He cares for me, that He loves me, that He saved me, that His thoughts towards me are outnumber the, sea of the, the sand of the seashore, that He knows when the sparrow hops, He knows what's going on in my life, that he said he'd take care of me, that everything would be for his glory and my good, I can trust him no matter what. I don't have to worry. And when you trust in his character, 
then you're not going to worry. So do you trust God for your daily needs or the concerns that you have for your kids or your grandkids or your spouse? Are, are you anxious? Are you worrying? Are you nervous about every day? The amount of worry versus the amount of trust is telling you what's in your heart. These are Christ's words that He's going to just walk us through as He preaches the sermon and expose our hearts. Where we need to be. Do you pass test number three? Finally, Christ says, to know what kind of heart you have, test number four, look at your relationships. Look at how you deal with people and your relationships with others. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, he tells his listeners how they treat others will show them what is in their heart. He first asks, do you judge others? You know, you judge their internal hearts by looking at their external behavior, verses 1 through 6. Christ said, I'm the only one who can do that, and therefore you shouldn't do that. But do you expect your Father to answer your prayer as you're dealing with other people, in verses 7 through 11? And then he says this profound statement of verse 12. Take a look at it. Do you treat others fairly? Look at what he says, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do so for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Do you treat others the way you want to be treated? Or do you elevate yourself above others like the Pharisees? Or do you write other people off like the Sadducees? Or do you somehow you know, see yourself as a worm before everybody? Or do you see yourself as exactly the way God sees you? As a redeemed sinner who's, who's now a saint. Now, do you pass test number four, how you deal with others, how you treat others? Now, I could go on and on. I love saying that because that's what the preacher says when he runs out of material. I could go on and on and on and on, okay? But now that Christ has convinced us, all right, in this sermon, he says, I've shown you your need for a new heart. It's the internal realities that I'm focused on. And he's helped us test our hearts with our relationships, how we behave with others, our worry or trust our money or selfishness or our following Christ in secret when no one sees. Now he's going to tell us what to do. What do we do now? So ask yourself, what kind of heart do you want? Do you want the internal transformation and relationship with Jesus Christ? Or do you want the phony external religion of the Pharisees? Because our world right now is dominant by the external religion of the Pharisees. Not just other religions, but even Christianity. Just a fake, empty relationship that is worked up externally and it's not on the basis of being transformed by Christ. So point number three, let's find out the path to a changed heart. The path to a changed heart. Read Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14. Enter by the, what kind of gate? It's a narrow gate, friends. And he's going to tell you in a moment, few are those who find it. The broad road does not have a sign that says this way to hell and destruction. The broad road has a sign to say this way to heaven, it just leads to hell. The narrow road that comes by faith, by God's grace, in Christ alone, is the only way. It's the only way that you can be born again. And it's not that you earned it, that He gives it. So enter by that narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many, most of those who say they're Christ followers are entering by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. The path to a changed heart doesn't come by the wide road of external works, of you conforming to Christianity, of you talking a good Jesus, and of self-righteousness. It comes through a small gate it's a very narrow road because you got to enter alone. The turnstile fits only one person at a time. You don't go in with your family. You don't go with anybody else. you got to go through it naked. You can't bring anything with you. There's nothing that you offer Christ. You cry out to Him. All your self-confidence, all your self-satisfaction, all your self-achievement must be left behind. We have people that sometimes come to our church and they go, yeah, I've been wandering as a sheep. And I'm like, are you a sheep? Because if you came to Christ and you later walk away, you didn't come to Him on your terms. You, you, you came to Him on your terms, I say, not on heart transformation. 
You, you had your own kind of religion there, your own form of Christianity. You say, Chris, are you saying that Christian has to be perfect? No! No, you have a heart that's been changed. You're going to battle and struggle with sin all the way up to the door of eternity. That's going to be the battle you're going to fight. But you have a heart that wants to follow Him. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You want to obey Romans 6.17. You want to pursue Him. It's a transformed heart. you got to have it. Like a child, you must depend on your Heavenly Father alone and rely on Him. It's like you're not depending on anything. You're just putting your hand up going, the only way I'm going to make it is I rely on your death, your burial, your resurrection, and your work in my heart to make me your child. Are you tracking with me? It depends on Him. Jesus goes on to warn us in verses 15 to 23 about the heartless. I can do it myself. External religion path, their path, the broad road of the Pharisees. And in verses 16 to 20, he says, you will know them. You know the difference between the real and the phony. You will know them by their what? Fruits. That's Christ through you. It's seen. It's not perfect, but it's seen. So watch out for that religion that is so popular today, even in and mainly in Christian churches, that is self-indulgent. It is self-willed. You get to do it, live any way you like. Your self-satisfied religion. The religion is all about you and that is what is being taught today. The faith that you see in the Bible is not about you. It's about Christ and Him saving you and making you His children. That's what it's about. Don't listen to Him. Don't follow Him. For if you do, your external behavior may change. You may do good deeds. You may look really good. You may fake everybody out, even your spouse. But when you stand before Jesus Christ and He looks into your heart, what's He going to say? Verse 23 tells you. What's He going to say? I never, what? Knew you. Ow. Don't be that man. Don't be that woman who hears that. Don't be that person. Depart from me who you will practice lawlessness. I mean, can you see Jesus now wrapping this up? Can you see people grabbing the grass around him going, man, this is intense. Because he's saying, look, don't be faked out by this external religion. The issue is not how much you know your family, whether you accepted Jesus in the past or having an experience. It's the kind of fruit that you produce. It's not going to be perfect. Maybe for some of you, not a lot, but somewhere there's going to be a shriveled up grape under a leaf somewhere because you're going to produce fruit. Thankfully, Christ tells us how to get that new heart. Verse 24, take a look at it. It says, therefore, every one of you who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against this house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock, the firm. You build a sandcastle at the beach, it's going to crumble. It's not built on the rock and God gives you a new heart. If you seek Him, He will. if He calls you, He's going to give you repentance and faith. He's going to transform you from the inside out. You're going to want to obey Him even though you'll struggle. You'll fi- Sometimes you'll fall flat on your face in sin, but you're still going to love Him. You're still going to get up. You're still going to want to please Him because only the new heart that God gives His children will cause you to follow His Word now and make you ready for heaven later. So how should you respond to the Lord's EKG? Are you ready? Stay with me. Letter A, ask God to give you a transformed heart. Ask Him. Religion can make you feel good about yourself. You can clean up the outside, make people think you're spiritual, but only Christ can forgive you, cleanse you, and transform you from the inside out. Cry out to Christ to save you. Ask Him to awaken your heart so you might put all your trust in Him and your faith in Him. So when He does, you will be radically different. All things become new. You won't turn over a new leaf. You will be transformed and given a new life. All things become new. Letter B. Remember that the heart is the number one issue in your walk with God. One famous pastor said it this way, the problem is a heart problem. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. You know, some of you came here today, you smiled, you, you know, everybody saw you and they love you and they trust you and yet you're hurting. There's relationship issues, there's big trials, there's physical issues and what God would want you to do right now, examine your heart. How's your heart? Are you trusting Him? 
Are you relying on Him? Are you all caught up confession-wise? Is there anything that stands between you and your Lord Jesus Christ? Because when your heart is right, your walk will be right. When your heart is right, you'll be in communion with Christ. And no matter what's happening in your life, you will experience joy. But when you drift into externals as a Christian, you forfeit your joy. And all of you know what I'm talking about, who know Christ. I know this, many of you do too. Why are Christians not happy? Because of lifestyle without heart style. Because they're living the externals, but they're not actually living from the heart. We're all prone to live by the scaffolding, are we not? The externals? We're all prone to become hollow at heart and let atrophy set in. Cultivate your heart in secret communion. Delight in Him alone. Consider everything else refuse to knowing Christ intimately. And letter C, very important. If your heart is in atrophy, repent now. A few years ago, a friend of mine, Tom, had a heart attack and he's laying on the ground. We're waiting for help to come. When the help comes in, those EMTs, those guys are rushing in and they look at Tom on the ground and they immediately go, Tom, your hair is messed up. We got to comb your hair, Tom. And Tom, your shirt is untucked. And we don't like sloven, you know, shirt tuckers uh, in our hospital. We got to tuck your shirt in. And Tom, your shoes are untied. You're going to trip on them as we put you on the gurney. And so Tom, we're going to fix up your shoes, tuck in your shirt, and comb your hair. And you're going, they didn't talk about any of that, did they? You know why? Because when the heart's at stake, cosmetic surface external issues don't matter at all. Because it's too important to have a heart that burns for Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that we would rend our hearts and not our garments. Father, that we would repent of our routine of merely looking good, of doing the right things, of saying the right things, but having an empty, independent, unrepentant, atrophied heart. Thank you for the Sermon on the Heart. Help us to rely not on externals, but to commune with you internally. Cause us to remember that you always know. Christ always knows what's going on inside of us. Keep us tender to you in our ministry, in our workplace, in our home, in our families, in our school, in our relationships, in our daily life. Keep us tender to you. Allow us to worship you with true worship where we offer ourselves, our hearts to you in totality. And Father, awaken maybe one or two here from the emptiness of false religion and be internally transformed so that they might turn to you in faith and repentance all for your glory. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.